the party to you. Samsonite. I was way off. Hold on to your butts. What's up, heroes? And welcome to the Stephen Corson Show, where we discuss financial strategies, habits, and mindset to get you to your first 100K and then get you to your first million, all in the pursuit of true wealth and modern freedom. All right, excited to have Drew Brenneman on the call with us. He is the CEO and founder of Brenneman Capital and a former Wisconsinite. So my wife should be able to see if she can figure out a little bit of the accent there or not. Drew, how are you doing, man? <laughs> doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. No problem. Now, real quick, I knew you said you were uh, you had some roots in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, right? How long ago did you live there? Man, I lived there till I was 18 and went to, went to college or however old you are when you go to college. So I, we lived in the same house my whole life okay. in Waukesha. So nice. Yeah. My, my wife and her entire family, they were from Milwaukee, lived in like nine different houses. They constantly were moving, like fixing them up and kind of flipping them, doing different things. Father-in-law was a fire chief up there, all that big Brewers fan. So, uh, I, uh, I understand, you know, I, I understand not to call cheese curds, uh, cheese bites or anything like that. So I've nice. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I never really got into the, the, the cheese thing. That's something that people find hilarious about me just to start. Uh, this is a, you know, personal finance, I guess where we'll talk about cheese first, but yeah, the, uh, I don't know. I always thought that was for people from like out of town, you know, they got all these like cheese stores and stuff, but like none of the, none of the locals go to those, like those, are the <laughs> from, from Illinois or whatever driving through. So do you still have a Packers Jersey though. Uh, I do. And yeah, it's uh, everywhere I've moved. It's been, uh, I haven't, haven't switched, uh, from the off from the Packers for that's always been my team. So, okay. All right. As long as you've got that, you know, it, I don't think you'll have a problem, you know, navigating your way back, back home through Wisconsin or anything like that. You put that on and you're just part of the family at that point. That's right. Splend right in. So I wanted to talk to Drew a little bit today about specifically what it is that you're doing in real estate, because I talk to a lot of people, as you and I kind of discussed previously, you know, that have a couple thousand dollars to invest in. They're these Henry's high earners, not rich yet. They've got some money left over. They're bringing in a really good income and they're like, okay, I want to invest, but I don't really have, you know, enough to go to like a wealth advisor. But at the same time, I don't really know what to do. Everybody says buy real estate. Everybody says buy stocks. You know, some kid told me to go buy Dogecoin a couple of years ago and he had a Lambo. Like, what should I be doing? So that's really, you know, at the heart of, you know, who we're talking to and, you know, who it is that, that, you know, listens to the podcast. So that being said, the reason I wanted to have you on is because you're doing some amazing stuff in real estate. And, you know, just give us a little bit of background about where you are right now and what it is that you do. Yeah, our company is really built for those folks you're talking about where we we take passive investors. So these are just individuals that want to invest, let's say, 50000 or more into, into a real estate, but they don't want to be the ones doing the work. So what we do is we go out, we acquire the property, and then we, we raise the debt and the equity. And then we run the deal, we do everything. So really, our whole business caters to that. We focus on multifamily in the Sun Belt. Okay. Um, we buy deals five to 50 million in Phoenix, Dallas, and Austin, Texas. Um, be happy to get into obviously my whole career, but I bought about 200 some million dollars of property to date. Okay. The business originally catered to just two individuals that um, I just had kind of met, uh, just going through life, telling my story, doing my own deals initially. But they, they were investing, you know, typically a, a million plus in a deal and funding the whole thing. But 
a lot of people were coming to me like what you're talking about over the years because I, I I started doing real estate in 2005. So over the last, you know, almost 20 years, you'd have people coming, come up to you or that you knew would say, I have money to invest. Like, can I? And we actually couldn't weren't really set up to take them on because, you know, you want to provide a good experience for them as well. So you'd want to have investor reporting and uh, your documents change between, let's say, if there's two or three people buying the property Mm. versus having, you know, 20 investors, maybe, let's say. But we've we've, you know, we've geared the company towards those folks now. And it's it's very attractive in terms of an investment uh, for for individuals in that scenario you're talking about where you you have high returns um, from the deals and they're they're relatively low risk compared to other investments but the downside is they're not liquid so yes you're getting you're getting this illiquidity premium so to speak where you know typical business plan i mean it's we're owning these things for 3 to 10 years so there should be a higher return for that you know inconvenience so to speak and and there is and so um you know, and, and the main reason people invest in real estate, whether it's active or passively, uh, it's there's cash flow, you know, which I think folks understand that your rents exceed your expenses, there's money left over. But you also you're paying your loan down every month, just like on a home. But the the money you're using to pay your mortgage is not money from your checking account like your house would be. This is money that the tenants are paying in rent. So then you're paying your loan down. Also, obviously, the property goes up in value, and which is appreciation, you know, so the third way. And then uh, there are a lot of tax benefits. So most of these deals, the they do not kick off any taxable income to the investors, even though they're providing positive cash flow and distributions to everybody. So okay. I can get into that in a lot of detail if you want, but it's starting out, you just kind of need to understand high level, like, what's happening and then sort of the fifth thing is the these inv- real estate is not highly correlated with the stocks or bonds um there's yep. a, a an in a private real estate index called NACREF. uh i think that's a real estate trade group and uh we we at some point calculated what the uh correlations were between them and it was it was really low it was like below a point three, i think for stocks and then just like a almost nothing for uh, for bonds. And so, for those of you wondering, that point three is normally on a scale of one. So yeah, or yeah, zero kind of a thing for correlation yeah. purposes. So tell me this, what I've got, you know, $20,000 in the bank, let's say, <clears throat> probably bringing in an extra $2,000 every month, something like that. I'm looking to invest somewhere. Why should I go with someone like you? Because there's a lot of people that are doing what you're doing. But I think the the confusion is like everything you said just sounds great. So why don't more people do it, right? So if I'm somebody who's got a, you know $20,000, whatever to kind of throw in with it, a couple thousand a month that I can continue to reinvest, give me some specifics. Like why should I give that to you versus just going and buying an index fund like what Dave Ramsey says to do? Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think why people, you know, not everyone does it is it's sort of where, what do you hear people talking about? And right, it's Dave Ramsey talking about uh, investing in the stock market or just, you know, keeping a a big emergency fund in your bank account. Like it's not, it's almost more just here, or even if you want to learn about real estate, like what's the first thing you probably hear about? It's like no money down or house hacking or Right. Go to buy a duplex. You but saw our invest- second click on, you know, clip on TikTok by somebody claiming you can do all these outrageous things and probably not the yeah. best source to start with when it comes to yeah. real estate. 
or what or what you should know is that it's a lot of work you know the first place yeah. i bought i put 15 percent down but then uh, the next few deals i did i put down uh five percent or less on all of them but i was busting my butt because to to get those things to cash flow any because i had you know such a high loan on them and and it was essentially like i was working another job uh being the property manager and owner of those for of the, the deals that i own so I mean, I think that's like a missing piece is the work. So like why, so it's, what's the, uh, I'd say, so yeah, what, why do people come to us? I mean, it's cause they, they realize they have money they want to invest and, but they don't want to be doing the work anymore, you know, and, or, or doing the work. I said anymore, cause actually a lot of our investors are people who bought maybe like one deal and realize it's a lot of work, but I like how it's going. So then I'm fine just investing with, with Drew. Cause I don't, I don't, uh, maybe I give up a little share of the profits or obviously we charge some fees, but then like we're ideally finding better deals. So then we're in part paying for ourselves. Right. And then also we're doing the work. So then they like that. Um, but I mean, I think it's, it's something that people really should, um, should consider doing when they're at the point financially where this is money that they don't need near term where you're sort of just building wealth or it's money you might need in three plus years because again most so, of these so invest- let me ask you this i, I give you my twenty thousand dollars and i'm totally on board with the three to five year plan whatever the case is boom family disaster happens you know dad's sick needs to move in with me i need the, the cash like right now is there any kind of penalty if i need to pull that out early well it's not possible to pull it out early yeah, okay, so that's not the, even possible. So yeah, that's, that's the downside. Yeah, I mean, some real estate funds. So, but uh, or maybe investments that are, I guess I don't know how to describe, it, but maybe larger than us, where there'd be so many investors in the deal, where they could offer that up to the other investors to buy out a person, or maybe the company would. Um, but that's not something that we've we've done, you know. And it's it ends up being, um, you know, if. In some of the in some of the partnerships I'm in, like the ones where I just had a single investor, there's language in there on how you could buy folks out and what it is, but it's always it's at a discount, so you wouldn't want to. Yeah. So if you're offered that one of those things, it's kind of like almost in a 401k. It's like, listen, you're going to put your money here, you're going to leave it there, and you have to just know that it's not going to be accessible to you for a little while, right? Yeah, because it's in a property. We bought it. You put, you know, that was essentially the down payment. Uh, on the deal and so then how do we how do we access that exactly you know, sell so it just like when you have equity in your own home it's like well you can't just go to the bank and be like hey my home's worth an extra two hundred thousand dollars and what i bought it for can i get a hundred thousand of that it's like well you can but there's a ton of loops you got to, you know hoops you got to jump through you got to refinance you got to do all this like you can't just get a check out of there so it's it's really complicated so that's the obvious downside of any kind of investment in real estate so, you know, knowing, again, going back to the example where we were talking about of, you know, index funds or something like this, we know that, okay, yeah, sure, you know, index fund, you might do 7 to 8% year over year over the long term. Uh, that's great. You can pull your money out whenever. Okay, that's nice too. So what's the upside here? Because obviously, there's a lot of upside, especially when it comes to, you know, the tax portion, because yeah, I'll make 7 to 8%. But a lot of the things people don't think about is the fact that, well, you're going to be taxed on those capital gains whenever you're taking the money out. So what does that look like? You know, when I'm putting this investment in the three to five year time horizon, you know, has matured, whatever the case is, and now I'm getting my money back. What kind of returns and tax 
uh, you know, uh, breaks can I kind of anticipate? And this is actually a good point to talk about. If even if you know almost nothing about real estate at this point, you're interested, you hear from other sponsors. One thing that I'll point out with like our track record and what it's like today, just to kind of compare that to like, I'll say ads I see online that I really hate, um, you know, this will make sense at the end. So our average return on deals we've sold so far is a 25% return per year uh, deal level. That's what the property per year. Okay. Yeah. Per year. So let's say we owned it for five years. If that money was paid out evenly at all times, you know, we would have, you know, 2.25 times the money, um, where is, you know, 25% times five is 125. Then add on your original money coming back via. That's it. I love that you did the math on that real quick. Cause I think that's a massive mistake. I hear people think it's like, listen, let's assume you had a couple great years in the market and you made 10% during the same time of what you could have invested with you and made 25%. Too many people look at that and they think, okay, that's 15% better. No, that's not 15% better. That's like you said. Yeah, and it's compounding too. 150 something percent better. So it's like, that's that's an incredible uh, benefit long-term. And when you consider... Again, that time horizon extending 10 to 20 years, you're talking about hundreds and thousands of percentage differences but, uh, potentially down the road. So I love the fact that and, you threw that out about the math. That's really important. But what I also what I want to highlight is today, I don't I don't think any deals will hit those kind of numbers because and that's fair. Uh, because in real estate, you know, you're let's say if you own you don't owe any money on the property. A lot of the multifamily deals we buy, we buy them, then we do something to raise the income. And if we had no debt on them, they'd make about six percent per year. I'd say it was probably if I just had to say what's a number. Okay. So then you know before maybe we were getting them where they were because. Uh, they're priced now where the yields are a little higher, but maybe, you know, two years ago, let's say, or five years ago, they're getting priced to where it's making a low 5% return unlevered. So no debt on it, but you can borrow in the threes and fours. So you're getting a lot more cash flow, And then people, when you go sell are willing to pay a lot more because they're also going to borrow in the threes and fours. Mm -hmm. So today is, so today returns are compressed in real estate um, because of the interest rate environment. And then also, Rent growth has slowed um, a lot of um, because the household- problem there. Sorry, just for some of the people that are listening to this that are really new. The problem is right now we are in a very high interest rate environment. So to you know, we are borrowing money from banks who are borrowing money from the government. And as the government continues to increase the rates to fight inflation, that means we have to borrow or you in this situation have to borrow money at a higher rate, which is going to hurt your returns. Right. And so today, depending on the risk profile, the deal, people that are investing in them, I mean, they could expect to make between 11% and 15% is what we would be saying. Uh, That's per year. Um, That's that's what we'd be saying would be to expect today. Obviously, if interest rates fall a lot and then prices go up or we're able to uh, take out a bigger a bigger loan and also reduce our interest rate, return capital quicker, save on interest expense. Obviously, we would beat those numbers. But in terms of what we would project saying this is how it looks like today going forward, you know, those are the kind of returns that we're projecting. But what I always tell people and it's relevant for your your audience, it's like those are still high returns. So, I mean, yeah, it'd be great to make 25 percent than the average of what you should expect. Like if you're going to get 15% returns. And again, this is in a tough 
environment right now. It's that's if we're averaging, call it seven and a half percent, you're getting 15. That's a hundred percent better. Again, that's drastic. So the, the, the upside on the risk, because I talk about this a lot when it comes to risk, people normally only pay attention to one aspect of it. And that's what can I lose? So they, they get kind of scared and they're like, okay, well, if I put my money in, you know, I can get 7% and still have access to the cash. But if I put it in here, yeah, that's good, but I can't get that. It's like, right. But you got to look at the upside of things and be like, if I can do this and I can do it for the time horizon that we've set aside, then you're looking at some massively exponential larger gains. So again, this is how you win the game. I, I one of my, uh, most if viral uh, uh, blog articles that I blog articles can't talk right now that I wrote was talking about pretty much how seven percent returns suck, and I you know explain to people why you shouldn't you know un- unless you're seventy years old you really shouldn't be focused on seven percent returns. So tell me how you know when people uh, and sorry real quick I meant to ask this question. So in that calculation for the you know, 12, 15% return in this environment. Is any of that calculating uh, part of the tax write-offs that you're going to get on this? No. And that okay. was also inclusive of whatever we would charge too. Like I'm trying to keep it okay, high that's level. Great. So it's so not that- like the deal made 15 and then, you know, when you're done, you get five. No, it's like that was a factoring in what we um, what we charge. But that's, um, no, that doesn't. Yeah, and to answer the other part of the question, right, about the tax benefits. So, um, you, you, what, so you are investing from like a legal standpoint, you're investing in a, in a LLC that's going to acquire the property. Uh, that LLC files a tax return every year. And then you get a K one, which, uh, as, as a member of the LLC, which says how much money you are paid throughout the year, just in distributions, but that you do not pay tax based on distributions. You pay tax based on the net income or loss at the pro at, that uh, for the LLC and the LLC can deduct obviously all the normal business expenses like repairs and maintenance and insurance and property taxes, but it also deducts the interest expense and it also deducts uh, depreciation on the property. So on the building improvements. So let's say you bought, um, they'll try to do this on the fly here, but let's say you invested in a deal that was a, uh, a a $2.75 million dollar, property that's what just the building was worth without the land um this will make sense why i picked that number you can you can depreciate uh that over a 27 and a half year life span assuming it's residential commercials 39 years but so you would be able to deduct you know 2.75 million divided by 27 halves hundred thousand a year Mm -hmm. so you would take a hundred thousand dollar deduction every year until the 27th and a half year and and that's not the property it is getting, you know, kind of it does get worn out, let's say over time. So you do need to replace things. So it's not uh, on one hand, it's some people say it's just totally like a free tax, you know, break. But the property, it does it goes up in value, but the actual physical structure does get worn out. So you right. you're going to replace have to maintain things. it, AC units, carpets, roofs, whatever. The thing that's interesting is this is like the same accounting you would have for like an actual piece of let's call it machinery for a business. You can write that off quicker, but a machine that literally will be worth zero at the end. And so what's interesting is because it'll be worn out and, you know, broken or need to be or obsolete where this apartment building won't be obsolete. It's going to be worth a lot more in 27 and a half years. But you're taking this tax deduction the whole way. 
Um, and so you're able to use that, you know, that, that deduction today. So then that goes against what you'd be paying your income taxes on like this year and next year. And while you own it, when you, when you sell, there is depreciation recapture. Um, so it's not just a free deduction and you never need to, um, pay tax ever on that. But typically what people are doing is they're, um, they're deduct or they're, ordinary income rate or what they pay on on real estate income is is uh is a higher rate than what this depreciation recapture rate is and that's it's a 25 percent tax rate uh federally on the depreciation recapture so you, you odds are you might be paying higher income rates on uh on the income if there was any you know year to year so you're getting a rate benefit and a big timing benefit because let's say you own the property for 10 years you're you're paying minimal tax along the way and then you're you're could be paying tax when you sell in the in the in your ten, um, or you can also there's ways to defer that through a ten thirty one exchange or other things uh, as well. I mean, some people what they do like their grand plan is they keep doing these ten thirty ones from property to property, right. and they hold it till they pass away. Then they get a basis step up, and all the capital gains and depreciation recapture go away. Yeah, no, exactly. because you got the step up, so that's how, so they can avoid taxes essentially forever. And and, and this uh, is and this was very famously made public. Doesn't matter if you like him or not, by former President Donald Trump, right? When he was in the debates, you know, talking with Hillary Clinton on it, and she kind of was trying to get him. One of the things it was one of those moments where it just kind of popped off his popularity, in, in my opinion. It was when, you know, it seemed like a gotcha question and she was like, oh, we'll talk about how you're hiding your money. He goes, yeah, I'm hiding my money from the government. He's like, that's what all the rich people do. And it's perfectly legal, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like I knew he would never release his tax returns um, be, be just because it's, it looks, it's such bad optics. And I guess to tell oh, you- terrible like, optics. Yes. Yeah. Perfectly legal, I haven't paid- But it's terrible yeah. optics. Yeah, I haven't paid any personal income tax, like let's say federally, state. We pay a lot. We pay, you know, millions in property taxes and mm-hmm. I pay payroll tax and other things, but I haven't paid any personal income tax in over 10 years. So and you all have the a seven, eight figure net worth? Uh yeah. Where it's yeah, it's and yeah, where I'm in I'm get a share of the profits on two hundred million of property. So like there's significant money being made here. It's just not enough to exceed the dep- the additional depreciation deduction I'm getting. And this so. is where and this is where I can't stress it enough. Just got done talking <laughs> with somebody. We were finishing up a coaching session, you know, a couple of days ago. And one of the big things I had to tell him in this is just a message I want everybody to hear. Stop listening to broke people about money. Okay. Like if you are get if if broke people love to give financial advice, just like single people love to give marriage advice. All right. At the end of the day, if if anybody's giving you any kind of financial advice and they're not some type of licensed professional in the financial world, and any honestly, even if they are a licensed professional in the financial world, you should probably just say, hey, just just so I know, what's your net worth? How, How much are you worth? Right. Because this is the problem that I think so many people are running into with culture and the, you know, with the emergence of like the TikTokification of personal finance and in and, and advice like that. I like I, I'm I'm struggling to get on TikTok for this exact reason because I don't want to contribute a part of this problem. You know, I prefer YouTube or it's long form. And it's just like it's hard to explain some of these really important financial concepts that can get you ahead in life, that can build your net worth quickly, get you to that first 100,000 net worth mark, and then your first million in 60 seconds or two minutes even. You know, But 
if you really take the time to sit and listen and learn from people, you know, like you, Drew, or, you know, others who have already made their wealth, you know, quickly, you know, you're going to learn a lot of things that you've never really heard before. So that's why I love having these conversations because they're, I think it's just so important from a cultural perspective because people hate talking about money. So here, I'll, I'll ask you a question. There is a one of the funniest um, polls I think that I've ever read when it came to personal finance and people talking about money. Okay, one of the, the this radio station did it, and they had thousands of res, uh, of people responding. And I, I'll never forget reading this question. So you have to guess. Uh, the amount of people that you think said they would rather do this. So it said, how many people would rather sit in a room watching a steamy sex scene on a movie with their parents on the couch next to them versus going and having a conversation with a professional finance uh, person about their money situation? How many people do you think said they would prefer the steamy sex scene with their parents? I mean, if if you wouldn't have teed it up like that, I would have said zero. So I'll just stick with with zero. I know it's going to be more than that, but that's what I would have said. Now tell us how high the number is because I'm oh, sure it's high with how you teed that up. Came in at 19%. One in five people said yeah, that's crazy. have to sit through some awkward sex scene with their parents on the couch right next to them, man. Oh yeah, that's, that's wild. It's yeah, it's funny. One thing with being in real estate, it's, uh, you know, you apply for a lot of loans and it's pretty, it's just normal to talk about money and what, um, you need to send, you know, if you're going to do like, say a bank loan, you, I need to send them a tax return for every deal that I'm in, which is yep, like you see, 30, shows, all that stuff, 30 different tax returns and a schedule of real estate and a cash flow summary and all this stuff. So it's like kind of normal, um, for me to talk about and to, to look at, but I remember I was, um, uh, looking at being in, in this, uh, group uh, called YPO for, um, it's like people that are under, under 50 and have their own business or are CEO. Um, and anyways, they, you know, part of it's like either how much money you have or are on, on, uh, what uh, your company does. And it was interesting cause it was like, they're checking if you're like, okay, talking about this. And it's like, yeah, I do real estate. Like every deal you got to like, you know, basically take your clothes off financially and say, here's what we got, you know? And so, Can't hide um, it. yeah. And then even you, the one thing to mention too, to invest passively in real estate in most deals, you need to be an accredited investor. Yes. There is a, uh, an S sec term and, and, uh, in one of the securities laws, they have that in place to help protect, folks so then um even people they need to uh to invest in these deals just quickly verify that they're accredited but not not just by like checking a box actually need to prove it to this third party place we use easy to do most people have a w-2 that qualifies them but it's um it's just interesting because like they when they apply they don't have anything like put together they don't know what to do it's like this is like this is kind of hard to do and it's like well just find your W-2, send it in or like a bank statement or something saying like, you don't have been this like, so it's just interesting where, um, yeah, most people, even if they have a lot of money, they're just not used to looking at that, thinking about, they don't spend a lot of time on it. They don't check their, where they're at a lot. That's just, uh, they spend more time, you know, booking vacations and whatever, trying to save money at the, you know, buying furniture or something, um, you know, or at the grocery store versus like what they should be doing financially. So it's just, kind of weird. Yeah. Me, so. No, it's, it's, it's one of those things to where I talk to a lot of people about this. I'm like, listen, stop focusing on hundred dollar decisions 
and start focusing on $10,000 decisions and $100,000 decisions. Because people will stress out so much about whether or not they should make coffee at their house versus buying it, you know. At- yeah, I hate that one. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, that's fine. But then you went out and you bought a $60,000 car and you have a salary of $50,000 a year. So how does that make any sense? You know, it, you could have drank all the coffees you wanted all year round if you would have been halfway responsible and just got a used car. So, you know, it's, it's it, people's mindsets. I think that when it comes to big numbers, uh, when it comes to money, I think the majority of people feel the intimidation they feel the fear of the fact that they don't know anything. And because of that, they just go, eh, I'm just going to ignore it. Okay. Like, you know, it's kind of oh, like, interesting. It, it's kind of like when you're, you're, something's wrong with your body and you're just like, ah, that could be bad, but it, no need to go to the doctor. I'm just going to ride it out until I'm coughing up blood or something like that, <laughs> you know, until it's so bad, I can't ignore it. And that's what I find that prevents people from really going through with a lot of this stuff. It's, you know, like you said with, you know, it's like, wow, a lot of people, they just won't put in their W-2 and, you know, get this basic accreditation. It's not that big of a deal. I think that for people who are comfortable with this kind of stuff, it's not. But then when you've never done it before, I think just looking at something like a tax form can freak people out because it's not that they, they can't figure it out. It's that they just feel so stupid that they don't know what it is already. And it's embarrassing because That's you know this, so much of money in, in, in investing, it's maybe 10%, 20% knowledge. The rest of it's emotional. So what's interesting is what you just touched on. That's actually a tip that I, I'm often giving, not for personal finance, but people want to know. Like maybe what what was something that you did or to, to get to 200 million a property or, you know, I bought my first deal when I was 19. You know, how did what was it? And what I actually tell people is it's mindset and being curious. Oh, I so like that. I never thought that being I was any curious. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I never thought I was any different than, let's say, these people I'd see that had apartment buildings or a a significant business. I just saw them as people who went for it. They took a risk, they put in the work, but none of the ones when you looked at them, they didn't like do Harvard undergrad. Then they went to Stanford for their MBA and then went to Oxford for a PhD. No, they just, it's like, no, it's a guy. He just, you know, he started, he bought a duplex, then he bought five more. And you know, it's like, he He just just did did it. it. Right. Yeah. And then the same thing, how did he learn? And you look at that and you go, well, actually, why don't I just ask him? And then he's so excited good. to talk about it because he likes it. And so, you know, it's interesting you say that because you could just apply the same advice to per, to your uh, personal finances where, you know what, like it's time to check your ego at the door and, mm. you know, ask questions and, and be curious about it. And you shouldn't feel ashamed. I mean, otherwise you're going to what you're going to go through your whole life just kind of faking like, you know, what's going on with your money and, and you don't. So. Yeah. Same advice if you're starting out in real estate or probably anything like especially applicable here. So, yeah, I tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, it's not your fault that you weren't taught this in school. It's not your fault that your parents, you know, didn't know that much about it or for whatever reason, they didn't want to talk about it. But from now on, it is your fault if you don't decide to fix it because there's two. This podcast is free. There's a lot of other great podcasts out there that are free. Books will cost you 20 bucks and you can get you know, masterminds of people who have done this stuff and all of their knowledge condensed into a little book. You can follow along YouTube videos, whatever you want to go to the next level. Guess what? You can probably join a couple 
courses that'll cost you a thousand bucks. You know, there's, there's, you really just want to go for it, have somebody else do it. Go give Drew, you know, a couple thousand dollars. I mean, there's just no excuse to remain completely ignorant of it anymore. And that's where I just try to tell people, I'm like, you are the hero of your story. Nobody is coming to save you and you have to take action and you have to do those things. And I think curiosity is just such an important element to this because it's just like, just, just go look, just go look. I did a podcast with a guy and, you know, up in Portland, this guy had no college degree. He's got 30 doors under management and all he did was go to a, uh, it was a local government thing to where they were doing some type of real estate, you know, minority program assistance thing. And he was like, there were 300 people in the room. They did the pitch at the end and said, if you want to apply, you know, come check this out and we'll show you how you can get a property for $0. And he said, out of the 300 people in the room, three people went or 500 people, however many were. He said there was only him and two other people that went. They were just curious. They're like, well, let's find out about it. Well, that led to them getting properties for zero down. And then like seven years later or something, he's got 30 doors. So nice. he was just curious. Doesn't hurt to look. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about uh, your background. Because you, you, know, you, you threw it in there a little while ago that you were 19 years old, you know, it, you know, getting into kind of this stuff, you know, not to insult you, but guess what? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody's surprised. I say, that in a good, I say that in a good way. Um, you know, so talk to me a little bit about your upbringing. What were things like, you know, were your parents in a real estate? Were you guys well off, middle class, lower class, whatever? And then what kind of got you, you know, veering off of the path that society, you know, wants to dictate for you, which is just go to school, get a job, you know, two, you know, two and a half kids and a white picket fence at the house and stick to your nine to five and don't ask a lot of questions. Well, I never was wired like that for one. So I was fortunate in that where, um, I just, I never really, even as a kid, almost, I'd saw myself as like a business person where okay. I would, I, I, I knew I would do that. I didn't know what the business would be. I just knew I didn't feel like I'd be working a nine to five. And how, how early did you feel that? Like, were you one of these dudes who was like, you know, five years old hustling a lemonade stand or something? Like what were some early experiences that you had as a kid where you kind of started realizing that about yourself? Uh, any way I could make money. I mean, obviously not like stealing or anything, but you know, I would, I would, I would interject it. Like I was, uh, playing, uh, my guitar. This is a, like a, I don't know, a five-year-old. So not like a creating great music and doing something with my younger sister where we were going to put on a concert for my parents. Okay. I don't know how old I was, but I remember charging them admission to the concert, like That's real money. Like, <laughs> we wouldn't just put this on for free in the basement. Like we need to, it's a quarter of a person. Like that up. is, I love that as a five-year-old, you charge your parents admission, dude, that is awesome. So I just, and I, I have a five-year-old now and I, I just played Monopoly with him. And uh, even though it says you need to be over eight where we, I just wanted to get that kind of going. He got paid rent for the first time yesterday. Um, <laughs> just kind of get that in his mind. I started him out with uh, one property from each side already. So he was, the whole game was stacked for him to win. So he liked it. Um, so it was, it was too much for um me and my girlfriend to overcome with that in that game, but they, um, but yeah, he, he, uh, so yeah. And I, I just, same thing. I was at a wedding of my aunt and uncle and 
someone there was a, a magician, like their friend. He wasn't performing, but mm-hmm. he taught me a, two tricks with a deck of cards. I kind of got the, I got interested in performing magic, and I did that. I think in like middle school would have would have been what age I was, and then I started. Well, okay, well uh, this is like a hobby, but I need to like you know let's make some money. So I started doing kids parties. So then I would do, do this, wow. and then the same thing to play paintball. Um, so my parents they were both teachers. So we were to answer your question. This will make sense with the paintball. Okay, we were not we were not poor at all. Like we were just whatever like two teachers would make. That's what we had. So you're not you're still going on vacation and you know it's it's not um we were you know middle class and so but they they didn't give me any spending money like the uh and so like i was playing paintball this was again i think in brown middle school so in order to pay for it because i didn't have a job and they weren't giving out just like free i had no allowance and there wasn't just like oh you're going to the store here's five dollars which my friend his mom was doing that and i would get we'd split it and i thought it was like oh this is great like going to walmart with five bucks um but anyways we would um sort of play paintball i'd have my friends come over um we would work on building out the field so i lived in like a wooded area um i'm from okay. the milwaukee we're from, I'm from waukesha like you said and then um we lived in like a heavily wooded area and like by where there's like farms and stuff so in our backyard it was woods so i'd have my friends come in like build out the field um like knock down trees put up hay bales with me nice. for free obviously you know and since you know they're playing here and then um so it, i had my had me and my friends would build out the field and then i would buy paint online um like you could buy a case so four bags for like 30 or 40 dollars um but then these paintball fields they would sell those same bags for 20 or 25 so yeah, sell out a case for on. 80 or 100 and i would just do the same thing i just had extra paint ready to go when you run out and then uh, most of these people their parents just paid for it so they didn't care and so then i would you know buy a case for 30 bucks and sell it for 100 you know as people needed it and so then i would um i pl- i played for free so because of that, well, I didn't make money in terms of like it was a highly profitable endeavor, but it it paid for me to have like a nice. I mean, 70 uh, bucks a nice to go at it, and, even if you're doing all that, you know, getting your paintball hobby funded. I mean, as a teenager, that's a massive win. Yeah. And so that's uh, that's just how I was wired. So, you know, then I saw my friends playing this video game. Uh, so they sold their items and Diablo 2 was the name of the game oh, and yeah. on eBay. Yeah, I figured we were about the same age. Most anyone who's like a, in their like late thirties is uh, some thirty-seven is like, oh yeah, Diablo two. I remember we've yeah. been around the block on that one. That's right. <clears throat> so people played that, and then you could sell your items not as part of the game, but just outside of it uh, on eBay or uh, wherever to other people in the game. They could just PayPal you the money. And I saw stuff selling sometimes for the same item for like five dollars, and other times for ten or twenty. So I looked at that and said, okay. Why don't uh, cause I didn't I never played Diablo 2. I played, I think, the original one, but I never got into it. But when my friend said they had sold their stuff for real money, I got interested in that. So um, I I invested, let's call it like 10 bucks. I bought two items and I flipped them for more. And um, over the course of four years, I did thousands of transactions. Uh, I still have like a unique 5000 uh, positive feedback account on eBay um, where and and I just for four years i just every day i'd come home from school i'd have like 10 to 30 sales made on ebay or on my website and make the deliveries do my homework have dinner go to sleep rinse and repeat and i just saved all the money uh from that where i didn't waste it uh you know that's one thing that i did get from my parents was um 
they were we were not like uh you, know, you see these people and it's just kind of what you're what you're teaching it's it's it seems like is just right to this demo where it's like yeah they might make a lot but then they just buy a bmw and another and a mercedes and a vacation house and all this stuff and my you know my parents they didn't they didn't work like that they basically spent what they needed and it was almost like detached from their income it was like you know we can just buy a ford truck or a pontiac and this is right. fine and, and pay cash for our vehicles and um and so I take it a step further than them. I know this isn't like a show on how to buy a car, but I've still to this day have only bought used cars all and uh, well, I all literally cash. recorded yeah. my uh, a YouTube video on that like right before we got on here, so it's extremely relevant. So yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, what what you do? I mean, preach this message because I'm like, even if it's one year old, people, no reason yeah. I knew. So please continue. I love this. I mean, so yeah, even okay. So I have, you know, all I have uh, quite a bit of property, but my first car was a thousand dollars, you know, Pontiac uh, Bonneville. Then I then I had a Pontiac Grand Prix where I traded that in, and the uh, the Grand Prix I think I bought for eight thousand, traded in my one thousand dollar car, wrote a check for seven, you know, something like that. Then I had a Honda, same thing. Um, now I'm up to a you know a BMW X5, but I didn't buy it new. I bought it for half price uh, when it was three years old. So, so you're a millionaire. I, I, I just want people to hear this. Okay. You're a millionaire and you're telling me you didn't buy a multimillionaire and you did I not could, buy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I sold all my property, I could buy, you know, hundreds of these cars <laughs> if I wanted or, you know, right. I could buy, you know, dozens without selling anything. And, and so, why, but I, and, and tell me, tell me this, this is the next thing I want to know. Why would you not? Cause you, you could, Right. And you could probably get an even nicer car if you wanted to brand new. Why do you not do it? Why will you refuse to buy even at this level of the game, having the level of success that you've had? Why will you not buy a new car? Uh, two things. I, I've It's delayed gratification in a way, you know, where I can I can make, you know, this this car that bought the BMW, I bought it for 35,000. The person before me bought it for 70. They drove it for three years and then I get it for 35 and I can drive it forever for 35. Like that, car, by the way. that makes, that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. Right. And it I makes traded a ton in, of sense to me and I traded in like a $15,000 Honda pilot. So I just wrote a, a check for the difference. So then you have no car payment. Um, but I just, I view it as a waste of money, like a new car. Like I know that if I bought that new BMW, I'm just lighting 35 grand on fire in those first three years. So I do I know, I do know gratification and it's just, I don't want to call it a bad investment because we don't really view cars like that as an investment, but it's a bad, um, it's a bad, uh, it's, it's poor value for the money. Basically. Yeah. It's just a bad use of your money really, where it's like you could buy a three-year-old version for half price. So I don't, I don't see, you know, even if I, as I, I'm sure I'll buy a nicer car at some point, I, it'll be a long time before it's a new one though. Yeah. So. And, and when that happens, I mean, because this is the thing that we run into, we go back to the car thing. And I honestly, I honestly believe I did predictions. Um, so at the, yeah, we're 2023. I did predictions at the beginning of this year that I posted online and I did eight different predictions. And I said that one of them was as we saw car and price, uh, car prices continue to increase over 2021, 2022 due to supply chain issues the prices just got astronomical. It just didn't make sense. So one of the things I predicted was that people were going to start defaulting on their cars. And then sure enough, now we're starting to see that happening. And 
a new car, the average price is $750. A used car wow. average price is $535 a month for the monthly payment. Right. And we're not even, that's not even total cost of ownership. We haven't gotten insurance. We haven't gotten a man. We haven't gotten anything. So it's like when you look at that and you see it again, I, I, I'm a millionaire. I have never in my life had a car payment above $500. That's just mind blowing to me when you consider the fact that 60% of people in America right now can't pay for a $500 emergency in cash. I mean, there's just no reason for it. So I think it's one of these things to where people, they, they buy, I think cars are again, just such an emotional expression of who we are, our identity and the cool factor impressing people you want to do because i love cars i really love cars the day i traded in my audi a6 for a ford explorer suv because i was going to be the one taking the kids today a part of me died okay i almost <laughs> knew you're going to say that that's a part of I, you know I, love funny is, I like cars cool. too a lot you know i'm i, I feel my dad taught automotives and woodworking that's what he taught and oh, okay like, i so feel like i'm a car it. guy but it's such a waste of money in terms of some of these things that I just And you can get a great used car. That's awesome. My Audi A6, I mean, that th- it was a 3.0. I mean, that thing could fly. but And it, was, it, it looked good, but I just bought it three years old, saved all this money and this value. You know, it, it, it's like, it's just, there's just not a good reason for it, in my opinion. So, yeah, we could go yeah, on, on this all yeah. day. For sure. Yeah, that's definitely how to buy a car. And then I think it's, um, you know, so what people need to do, whatever point you're at. And I did it as a high schooler, uh, is, is you need, you need to be able to like actually save money and like in a meaningful way where, you know, I, I basically through that high school period where I had the internet business, I was living on, you know, 1% of my income. I was able to do something that extreme because my parents paid for the house, you know, you're a kid, so you don't pay for it. But I already had the car. So basically my only expense was like gas to get around and car insurance. And so that was it. I already had enough clothes and you didn't have to pay for food. But what I think Mark Cuban's got a saying, like just like live like a college student or something, uh, uh, yeah, live like you're broke or something where oh, it's, yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in that. Like, uh, and, and I do see this where, um, the longer you can keep your expenses low and the best time to do this is right when you graduate college or high school or whatever, like don't keep, keep having a roommate, keep living with your parents, like save money. I, um, I can, So it's funny you say that my, so my, I have, you know, different programs for people depending on where they are with their financial income. The second one is called momentum and in momentum, there's five different levels of activities you can do that will that are wealth building principles. And the levels are based off of the time it takes to accomplish it and the level of difficulty it takes to accomplish it. There's only one level five activity. And that level five activity is to live at the same same cost basis for five years. If you do that, you will level up your net worth. Guaranteed, I don't care how much money you make. So I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. And I, I was, and I, I did that where, um, I actually went backwards, which I'll, I'll tell you, cause this is hard to do, but just in terms of like how it set me, right. set me up. So okay. I bought those four rental properties in, in college, uh, with my own money were my first four deals. Um, 
I bought about $2 million of property on my own. I had, um, how much money did you have to have to get $2 million in property? Well, it's, if you would have started out just buying them all right away, you know, back then you would have needed, would have needed 50 to $400,000 to put down. But I, I bought, you know, them one at a time. So I bought, you know, the first one, I put 35,000 down. Then I turned that into like 70,000 on that deal. While I owned that one, I bought another, um, then I bought. And did you, you know, do this? Did you do that through uh, like rehabbing the properties a little bit, getting reappraisals, and then reinvesting the difference? No, actually, um, one way. I mean, all these buildings are valued based on the income. So really, back then and even through today, primarily all the deals we bought, we have not needed to rehab. We just know the rents are below market, and we're paying a price today based on today's rents. So then I'm walking into a profit day one. Once I and then once I can raise the rents, so that's a, uh, that's what all those deals. And I, yeah, that's a beautiful element of real estate. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I was buying them. I mean, I bought one from like a little old lady and a guy who was a contractor. You know, like not you know these weren't um, you know these were just like mom and pop operators. And so, um, but so bought those deals. I got a job to learn about real estate um, because I had invested all my own money, moved up to Minnesota. Then I met uh, one of my coworkers who was an intern. He he had heard my story, what I was doing, somebody buying these deals and said, why don't we go talk to my dad? We could all buy property together potentially. I pitched them like literally the next day, like I don't like to wait around. So I pitched them (laughs) on some deals that I had printed off and uh, they really liked one of them. And we bought one of the deals printed out in that meeting. And in Minnesota, over the next three years, we bought $25 million of property together. And this is where I'm getting with the going back housing cost wise. Mm-hmm. This whole time, I had still never spent over 1000 a month on, on my rent. I still yep. kept it super cheap. Um, I would have been 26 by this point. Yep. And then at that point, so I had I had sold some of the Madison ones, I, uh, some of the college rentals. So I still had two. And then I own the six. I know it's going to be hard to follow, but six with those, with the folks in Minnesota. So I I own eight properties. I have a job and I'm, what, what do I do next? I, when I quit my job, I move in with my parents for one year just to extend the runway. So I have money saved up. I'm looking at how I'm spending money right now back at the time going, I could live like this for like 10 years, like at this rate, like I'm spending Mm -hmm. so little, um, you know, I don't have any kids or anything. And, um, and then how can I extend that even further? And I moved in with them um, for a year and then I moved to Chicago. But so at that point, if you want to get a girlfriend, you might need the fancy car if you're living with your parents just to really convince them like, it's okay, I have money, right? <laughs> yeah, well, what's what's I mean, yeah, that I don't I don't. Yeah, I, if we want to turn this into a dating podcast. I don't think you don't lead with <laughs> no, right. You guys didn't know you were in a relationship, yeah. today, you know, on yeah. the Orson show, but here it is. Don't lead with money. Show up in a Pontiac and they, you know, make them like you for you. That's what I, that's what I I did. I I love it, man. I tell everybody the only reason I got my wife is because she was at a really, really low point in her life. And she just said, why not? So it worked out for me. Uh, I I definitely uh, was was too tired to to argue that day and just said, all right, fine. So it's going to date. So, so let me ask you this real quick, or sorry, go ahead and, and, and finish what you were saying. I cut you off. Uh, and then I, I, I mean, that, that was it, you know, that extended the runway. And then I moved to Chicago. We started buying deals there. And then, yep. you know, we, I met another family while there and sort of, um, 
you know, that's, that's how I built the $200 million portfolio with those two families. And then along the way, like I said, I had people interested in investing in our deals. We weren't really set up to it, to do that. So in 2021, I, I rearranged kind of how I'm doing things where now I can take on uh, passive investors and deals. And then we also uh, target the Sun Belt now, whereas before I'm in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Chicago, where I, I moved to Austin, Texas now. So I'm a, I'm a uh, even though we were talking about Wisconsin at the start, I'm a, I'm a Texan now. So smart move. <laughs> but that's that's why I still like the Packers. You know, I don't, didn't have a lot of good football uh, options to change, you know, the Vikings and the Bears and now the Cowboys. So, um, you know, they're, it's not giving me a lot to not to like with the local football. We can, so, we can give um, the old the Bears suck chant. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, my, my wife will be proud of me. I'll get some brownie points. So, yeah, but I, and I'll make a bunch of uh, haters now talking about that. Just go through every big city. <laughs> a lot of people are about to switch off this pod right now. They're like, oh, forget what this guy said. We're writing it off. So let yeah. me ask this. Let's say somebody goes because, you know, there's the the I, I believe it's a little bit of a misleading statistic, but it's something like 95 percent of millionaires have real estate in their portfolio. And I I find that misleading because a lot of times that can be really nice houses and expenses. Like for me, you know, I crossed my first million dollars when I moved into a new house that I essentially flipped the other one for. And it's like, well, you know, I may not have as much liquid as it sounds like, but net worth wise, it's very valid. So in your opinion, you know, if somebody was wanted to go and say, I want to do, you know, what I see what Drew did early on, that sounds really interesting. I would love to just buy, you know, and just start with one rental property. In your opinion, what would it take to get to that first million? You know, obviously, you know, valuations have a ton to do with it and different things like that, you know, but would you just say like, hey, you know, if you're doing single family, multifamily, different things like that, again, obviously, you know, variable cost here is, you know, a huge aspect. But I mean, are we talking you need 10 to 20, uh, 5 to 10 you know, before in years or what do you mean? Rentals? Years, like what's your experience with that to reach that million dollar net worth valuation? Cause I think people will be shocked when they find out about what that, that turns out to be. Yeah. You really need time. So when you, when you were saying five to 10, 20, I was asked thinking, are you talking about properties or years or what? Cause you okay, can, you can, you can, yeah, you can be a millionaire on one property. You just need to, uh, you just need to hold it you know, and pay the loan off, you know, and it's, let's say you bought a $500,000 duplex, you own it for 30 years, let's say it doubles in value. That seems, you know, realistic. And then you pay it off. Well, you're a millionaire. And how many, in yeah. a duplex that's, you've got two different tenants in there. I mean, that's not that difficult to manage, right? Right. So the real estate really is about making money slowly. And then when you see what can happen, um, you know, it really can turn into to a lot. And I even, you know, I'll see uh, like I think about my own portfolio that I'm a part of where we have this, you know, 200 some million of property. We're going to, you know, buy and sell deals and then buy bigger, better ones over time. So this won't this won't work exactly like this. But I do think at times, okay, this 200 million dollar portfolio we pay it off. It we hold it. It doubles in value. We've all made four hundred million bucks over you know over the long haul. We just don't need to do anything. We just you can get we just need to sit tight. We just need to sit tight. We need to make sure we can you know. Um, and these things all are cash flow positive. So that's the other thing yep. is like we will make more than that. But it's sort of like. Uh, so I'm really about like being uh, staying in the game and not taking your chips off the table. That's. Um, 
that's always like a top tip uh, for like other real estate investors when that comes up like what's like a common if they're like what's your biggest mistake or whatever it's always like i sold this deal i thought i was going to buy another one right away and then i didn't then two years went by I put my money in the stock market and then it you know went down 20 percent. <laughs> right <laughs> and now i have no property and i lost 20 percent and uh I should have just kept it. So I think, you know, really real estate investing, you got just think about it long term, whether you're going to be a passive investor or active. I would really, really push on that because there are a lot of transaction costs to buy or sell. So I don't I don't like flips, you know, being in and out of things like in the same year, like these house flips. That can be difficult with all the fees associated with buying real estate that it can be tough to break even. I agree. And it's so much it's so much active work throughout the hold period that you, you know, it's really just like another job, I think. Well, where- I think another way to look at it is this, you know, let's take the million dollar talk off the table. In the day and age of what we live in, you've got almost 80% of people that are interested in some form of side hustle. To that, I would say, okay, well, if you can, you know, build up enough money to go and get another property, and let's just say you're not even trying to get rich quick, you know, you, you just want a little bit more security in your everyday life, buying something like a duplex, you know, or one or two properties or something like that is a great way to have supplemental income. So if you ever do lose your job and you find yourself in, you know, the day and age, like what we do right now, and it's tough economic times, guess what? You can just, you know, you can take some time because not only will you hopefully have some savings set aside, you know, when all that's done, but you will actually have cash flow on a monthly basis. It may not be a ton, but it's better than nothing. And I think that's something that's super underrated. I mean, and, you know, in the good times, when you do have some cash flow, uh, you have somebody paying off the equity. And if you're only netting, maybe call it 500 bucks a month, you know, on, you know, some small properties, well, that's $6,000 a year. The average income in America right now per household is about $60,000 a year. So that's a 10% raise. So I think that there's so many things that to where looking at real estate as an investment you know, doing it passively with somebody like you, um, you know, going through and actively getting your own property, whatever the case may be. I think if you go in with it, like with what you said, with a long-term mindset, uh, there's just so many benefits to it. So that's, uh, that, that's a great way to frame it. Uh, we're coming up on time. I want to cover one thing that we talked about earlier. You, uh, there's a, a very exclusive group called Tiger 21. And I know you had kind of talked to them and looked at potentially applying and different things like that. Do me a favor. Tell me a little bit about what that looked like and then, uh, you know, what some of the findings were when you were going through that. Because I think that'll be really interesting to the general audience. Because, again, I want people learning from millionaires, not broke people. But yeah, that's why I'm, I had mentioned that before we started uh, had hit record because was what what it would be of most use to the audience and. You know, your average person, they don't have a, uh, a clue and neither did I. What would somebody with a, a net worth like these Tiger 21 folks invest in? And so, yeah, Tiger 21 is a it's a peer membership group where in order to be in it, you need to have a net worth of over twenty five million dollars. And and what what they do is I think they um, and I'm not in it. I just I was familiar with it, but they um you you need to be liquid primarily in your investments because what they do is they so you can't just have like a business worth thirty million dollars because right. can't just doesn't really something. doesn't really fit what they're doing because what they do is they review as a group I think in small groups about 
what what everyone's invested in and just kind of talk about and optimize their portfolios. So it's actually so people that are in it, they've sort of already made their money or it's family money and they just are trying to get it into the best vehicles for investing as possible. And then there's no there's nothing for sale, so to speak, like the people in your group. It's not like you're talking to someone who's just selling life insurance or just super biased on one thing. It's right. it's, it's other people in your situation individuals, and they are super, you know, targeted probably on all the peer sharing and what it is that, you know, the information that's going around. Right. And so what we were what we have been talking about is they did a survey of what these Tiger 21 members are invested in. So what is their portfolio allocation? How much is in stocks? How much is in bonds? How much is in other things? And what's interesting is actually the top two investments that they're allocated to was real estate was number one and number two was private equity. And then number three was stocks. So in in hedge funds was like eighth on the list i think it was even after like having money in cash like so where was, where, where was dogecoin it, yeah that's that's probably in the one percent <laughs> other you know allocation or whatever yeah, yeah so, i think so because <laughs> wealthy people they're not trying to you know buy i mean i know you're joking but in all seriousness they're not trying to uh do any get rich quick stuff or no absolutely put their money not. in dogecoin and hope it 50 x's they're going I've already got this money. I want to, you know, preserve it and put it in the whatever has the best return relative to the risk. That's another thing that these folks always are talking about Absolutely. is the risk because that's a common mistake I see people make too is yes. they'll go, "Oh, this real estate deal makes 20%. This is from like the passive investor standpoint, and this one makes uh 13." And they just pick the 20, but they don't realize the one that might make 20 like that's just projected, but it's you need to build a hotel in that one and in uh the 13%, you just buy a full apartment building or, you know, industrial deal lease to the post office or something simple like you actually you know you're not always better off taking that higher return but so that was like a big eye-opener for me seeing that and i'm uh you know i'm whatever i'm 95 percent plus personally allocated into real estate so but that um if you think about it those tiger 21 folks they don't need their money back in a, a year they don't need you know if they have that emergency you're talking about they just go into their checking account and handle it. Like they're just looking at yep. what's the best thing to put their money into. And then they've, they've realized that it's private real estate and it's private equity. So you're buying properties, you're buying businesses. I mean, that's where, the, where they put their money. Well, it's like uncle Warren Buffett always tells everybody, right? The number one rule to investing is don't lose money. And the second most important rule is the first rule. So right. don't, yeah. yeah, don't forget the first rule. Yeah, don't, don't forget the first rule. So it's yeah. like when you're when you're when you're doing these things, when you're looking at these high net worth individuals. Yes, when you're starting off at zero net worth and you're trying to build it, you're gonna have to take some risks. You're gonna have to put in a lot of sweat equity to build that up. But as you reach new levels, you encounter new devils. And the biggest thing that they're worried about at that point is getting a halfway decent return without having any kind of monetary loss, you know, or vet or value loss in whatever it is that they're investing in. So that's why it's super important to pay attention to any kind of news sources or reports or cohorts or wherever the information is coming from these high net worth individuals, because even if it's not something, you know, a lot of people, when you got a zero net worth, you're not going to get into private equity. That's fine. But if you know that real estate and stocks are number one and three, well, guess what? Those don't necessarily have huge entry barriers and you can get yourself into those. So that's the uh, 
the big thing that, you know, I love to make sure that we're drilling home to the listeners there. So uh, real quick, Drew, thank you so much for coming. Um, where can we find out more about you? Um, I believe you have a podcast. You know, if people want to listen to this in more detail, uh, how can people get in touch with you and find you? Yeah, if you want to see, uh, interact with me personally, I, on every social media platform, I'm just at Drew Brendeman. But then for if you want to invest passively in, in real estate and our deals, you can go to Brendeman.com. So B as in boy, R-E-N-E-M-A-N.com. You sign up to be on be on our investor list, so you're not committing anything. You just are going to get emailed the deals when they come out, and then if you commit money, then that's when we get into seeing that everyone's accredited, and then collect the signed docs and investment funds. But we also have some resources on there, like if you just want to learn about passive investing, we have a passive investing guidebook. It's a hundred page PDF, just breaking down everything about real estate you want to know all the terms how it all works uh different types of properties you could invest in and then also the brendaman blueprints my podcast so yeah thanks for mentioning that that's a real estate investing podcast so that's for active and passive investors so yeah if you want to learn about what you know how to vet sponsors like myself what to look for if you're a passive investor or how it all works that's all on there or if you want to learn how to do your first deal and uh you know get into uh get into real estate investing yourself we cover all that so Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you so much. I'll put some of that in the show notes as well. So if you're looking for it, one thing I always, always tell everybody who's listening, if you want to know whether or not somebody is legitimate, you can tell by the free stuff that they're giving away. Okay. So if you, if somebody's just trying to sell you something and they don't have any social media presence, they're not giving away anything on their website. There's nothing like that to where you can really judge whether or not it's good. Or even if it's something for you, then that's kind of a red flag. So the fact that you are putting that stuff out there, you've got stuff on the website, you've got a podcast, all these other things, highly encourage people to go check it out. Even if it's not something you're interested in right now, there could be a time to where you are ready for something like this. And it's going to be great to have a resource like Drew and his company available to you. So thank you again for coming on the pod. Really enjoyed the conversation. This was fantastic. And uh, yeah, we'll have to do this again in the future.